Welcome to Aircrew Interview. I'm Mike Young, your host. In this episode, we chat with Arthur Williams about how he became a pilot, his Channel 4 aviation broadcasting career, and his new series, Flying Across Britain. So if you like what we do here, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview to help us out for as little as $1 per month. You can also donate by going to aircrewinterview.tv forward slash donate. Thank you and enjoy. I've always been interested in aviation, really, right from my earliest memories. Both of my grandparents, my grandfathers, were in the, the Royal Air Force, and uh, my dad was in the military. And so we grew up with a large military sort of family. Um, but aeroplanes, we were lucky enough to live in an area of Worcestershire where there was a low-flying sort of radar testing uh, facility. And with that meant that we got all manner of fast jets, cargo aircraft, helicopters from all different nations buzzing the house like rooftop level and I used to remember running out into the garden and just watching them go and I loved it and I just thought that is what I want to do that's for me and and um and I just developed it on from there there's something about flight that just captivates me and I never get bored of it I always just seem to love it and as I learn new stuff it just develops mm-hmm. I think once you get there the bug it sticks forever doesn't it yeah absolutely but you didn't actually go into aviation you went to the marines can you tell us about this yeah it's a funny one really I um I always had the ambition to go and do do fast jet flying but I, I wasn't I wasn't the biggest child at school and I got in with a group of friends from my villages and I suppose you, you know a young or teenage testosterone kicked in and my dad being in the navy I, we must have been on a school bus talking about uh about the Marines, and I said, well, I reckon that could be quite good, I'd have a go at that, and they said, uh, no, you'd never be able to do it, you're far too small, and so for me, that was like red rag to a yeah. bull, that is the challenge then, isn't there, so that's what I ended up going to do, and um, aviation sort of came back into my life after my, my life-changing injury, I was in a car crash and, and was paralysed, and aviation came back into my life um, as, a, for me personally, a means of rehabilitation. I first discovered that I could fly um, probably about 10 months after my accident. Obviously, it's quite a long road to recovery, and I needed something to do um, for, for, for my own mental well-being and my, my life. You have to find work, because in my opinion, that creates a sort of financial stability. It creates the foundations for which to be able to build a family on, but it also gives you distraction from some of the nastier things in life. And... Um, and funnily enough, my dad was a resettlement officer for the military. Okay. Uh, and one of the techniques that he said was flick through a yellow pages and have a look at what vocations stick. And there was nothing. And then one day I, I thought, oh, I remember Douglas Bader from the Second World War, of course, the legless ace and hero of the Battle of Britain. And I thought, well, if he could fly without any legs in the war, I'm sure I can do it now in the 21st century. So I started doing a couple of search engine uh, inquiries and found out about Airability, who were then the British Disabled Flying Association. And I wrote them a, an email just saying, hi, look, I'm paralysed, you know, uh, I'd, I'd love to sort of see if I can get involved with flying with the ambition of going commercial. Is there anything you can do? They got back in touch really enthusiastically and were like, yeah, absolutely, come on down. And I went for my first trial lesson and they said, literally, sky's the limit. And so that's how it all began. And my correspondence with the CAA, the Civil Aviation Authority, were equally as optimistic. I thought with them I'd come up against a bit of a bureaucratic shield, but it wasn't the case at all. Both medical and engineering were always of the opinion and still are to this day 
prove that you can do it safely and we have absolutely no reason to say that you can't do it and so i i found that the door was wide open and i ever since then i've been flying nearly a decade now and i've never looked back it's just so it's just brilliant yeah so how did you start your training did you find it difficult or were you a natural how do you say i think i was a natural without being an absolute <laughs> shite i think the training for me personally i got on very well with because I, I i had the time and the resources having just left the military um to be able to pl- plow all of my um, energy into it and so the training i found challenging because of course for when any, anybody's learning to fly it's challenging um both the the skills um, phase of, of learning to handle an aeroplane your your jar of capacity mentally is always uh, maxed out and, and overflowing but that's only how we progress and then of course uh, mentally with the exams as well you're always having to study the books and learn quite a lot of new material so it's always challenging but I think that when you have got so much enthusiasm for something uh, it takes you, over, doesn't it? You make it work. It exactly. just it, it just takes over, and it's uh, it's it's. Um, I enjoyed it. I, you know, it was tough, but I enjoyed it. So I did all my training on a PA twenty eight, okay. a Warrior. Yeah, 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 I still remember the first registration that I soloed was Golf Bravo, uh, Golf Bravo Romeo Foxtrot Mike, and then the first aircraft, the aircraft I passed my skills test in was Golf Bravo Sierra Yankee Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So where would you fly from? Are you based here? Yeah, so I'm based here at Bidford. Um, we're a gliding site predominantly. Um, we've got about 130 members and there are um, powered aircraft. Uh, probably got about 30 powered aircraft. Well, no, have we got 30? No, I'd say probably about 20 powered aircraft here. Um, and most some gliding sites and power sites and the, the integration between the two isn't always uh the best kind of union but here at bidford i think that power and gliding operations you know they come together quite nicely and everybody seems to get on it's a lovely place to be we're out in the cotswolds we have very little restricted airspace around us here so world's your oyster so my work with Channel 4, really, as a professional broadcaster, began um, back in 2010. Uh, I would had the accident. I was on my road to recovery. I was learning to fly with the ambition of going commercial at the time. And I needed money. I needed a job. Uh, the flying wasn't paying for itself. And, um, and my friend noticed an article in a, a newspaper. And the article... Um, highlighted this search that Channel 4 were doing in the build-up to their coverage of the London 2012 Paralympic Games and they wanted, they made a bold claim to to air 50% of their on-screen personalities with disabilities and my friend cut out the article and he put a footnote on the bottom of it that said, Arthur, put in for this because you're not bad looking and you're a gobshite and I just thought that was flipping hilarious so I made a couple of inquiries directly to the channel um, and then a long long story short they put me on a contract to present the uh, the London 2012 Paralympics which we won a BAFTA for um, I think we grossed out about 7.6 million viewers at peak wow. um, and God knows how many we influenced worldwide it would have been billions um, and and that really started off my career as a broadcaster but and after that at a, at a Christmas party I was um, 
at the bar with one of the commissioning editors uh, for specialist factual departments. Uh, and he knew about my flying and he knew about my military background. And so he, he, we wanted to desperately get some documentary stuff put together because I love the history, I love aviation, I love the military. And, um, and, and, I, and I, I wanted to do this. So he just asked me outright what your favorite airplane was. I said the de Havilland Mosquito. He had no idea what that was. And so then I, I think I spent the next half an hour um, singing the praises of this wooden wonder and he fell in love with it so much that he commissioned it right there and then and that's how my career um sort of didn't go or it went from or it, it grew from paralympic sport into aviation and military history and now as a broadcaster i i still pursue paralympic side of things so i've done four paralympic games now both winter and summer and i've i've done multiple series on channel four about aviation and military history stuff so I mean, that must have been pretty special. Your love of aviation became your job. Well, but uh, can you talk us through the Mosquito for any viewers that don't know, which they will, but can you talk us through what kind of aircraft it was? Oh, so the Wooden Wonder, the, the Haviland Mosquito, it was um, developed during the Second World War as a fast, uh, light bomber. Um, and... Um, when Geoffrey de Havilland first developed it, he developed it against the kind of um, trends of the air ministry. Everybody who was submitting uh, proposals for bombers um, were covered with machine guns, uh, armour plate and stuff like that uh, in order to defend themselves. And they were slow, laborious, you know, lumbering old things. The de Havilland Mosquito and Geoffrey de Havilland, Sir Geoffrey de Havilland, came up with the idea that we want to create something light and fast. And if you do that, you won't have to put guns on it because it will be able able to outrun any of the aircraft that are trying to shoot it down and it did very successfully uh, although it, it, it you know the aircraft spoke for itself in terms of its performance but I think early skeptics um, were citing that it just wouldn't be a very successful bomber and, and, and the mosquito film that I made kind of told the story of uh, really the versatility of the de Havilland mosquito because when it was originally conceived it was conceived as a light bomber um, but it soon it soon proved Proved itself as with its pinpoint accuracy, its low-level capabilities, uh, and also the the sheer uh, versatility of what you could do with the aircraft. I mean, it was used by coastal command on anti-shipping raids. It was used as, by the Pathfinder squadrons to try and bring some accuracy to our area um, bombing campaign. It was used for super specialist uh, pinpoint raids on you know Gestapo headquarters and archives and things like this. Of course, we all know about the Amiens raid and things um, and, and that's just to name but a few uh, you know off the top of my head I couldn't name all of the raids that the, the Mosquito was involved in and of course it wasn't just the European theatre that it was involved in either it was taken over to the Pacific as well and Burma and areas like that so this aircraft uh, as well as being my personal favourite aeroplane uh, we found was many people's favourite aeroplane and, and making a documentary about it was just the, the perfect thing to do and it went down really well and loads of people appreciated it and it was just great. And you were lucky enough to have a trip, weren't you? What was it like? Yeah. <laughs> it, we were lucky enough to have a trip. We were... We were hoping that we'd be able to go over to the States and fly in, the, back then, the, the newly airworthy KA-114, uh, the only fly, airworthy mosquito since we lost the one at Barton all those years ago. And, 
And we knew that, f- that filming the actual mosquito that could fly would form quite a big part of our documentary. Um, and we were cheeky enough to try to, to hope that we might get a flight. And we did. And it had only been put together and signed off, I think, that week. And, wow. um, and we went up and the, there was an air show that weekend. And, and we, we, our, our film crew arrived on the Thursday. And then on the Friday, Mike Spaulding, the pilot, was like, uh, I'm going to take it out, stretch its legs, just make sure that it's all right for the air show. Uh, does anybody want to come along? And he offered it to the director first. The director kept it, kept it shtum from me uh, for purposes of making good television. And I'll explain in just a second why. And then Mike Spaulding, the owner, was like, uh, yeah, sure, take him flying. Um, and uh, the insurance company were like, yeah, sure, if the pilot's happy and the owner's happy, then go flying. And, so, and then with all of this, the director then came up to me whilst we were on camera. And he was like, Arthur, you're going flying in the Mosquito this afternoon. And I was like, what? And, uh, and of course, then, you know, there was that piece of the camera where I was just a little bit like, but, uh, and that's how we managed to go, you know, within, uh, within uh, an hour of being told that we were going up in the Mosquito, we had a cup of tea, got into the aeroplane, off we went. And my God, what a machine it is. Ah, it's just phenomenal. Tail dragger aeroplane, the same as the Cub here. Um, but you've got two massive Merlin engines, you know, producing something in the region of 2,400 horsepower, I think, Merlin 25s, 1,200 each. And, um, and, and because it's, it's, it's unlike um, single-engine tailwheel aeroplanes, where you like, say, the Spitfire, where you've got a big, long engine out the front you can't see, so we have to weave. I even have to weave in this. But with the Mars, because you've got them both out on the side and you've got the fighter windscreen, you have unhindered visibility of the airfield and taxiways in front of you so you can taxi this thing straight and we were holding on the brakes on this little grass strip and we revved up the power like two-thirds power or something and then off the brakes went and woof we went like a flipping rocket it <laughs> felt like jet power and the, the the tail comes off almost instantaneously and then that view in front is just like you're in a it's just a, it's just incredible for anybody that knows how restrictive the views are in front of you it's just it's just amazing and uh, we went up whoom, there we are cruising over uh, virginia beach at like what 240 miles an hour and we're just cutting through turbulence it was quite a thermal windy day so the cub would have been buffeted around like mad but this thing just like a warm knife through butter just cut through the lot and ah i remember we did this one particular shot with a helicopter and he was hovering here and he was getting us coming towards him so the helicopter's up here and we're going there and uh, we just went underneath and we just hit like a speed bump as we went over his his downwash and that was the only turbulence we felt all day and ah Ah, it's just a, oh, just a joy, just a machine. Yeah, I know. I am surprised that my nose isn't out of place now, having <laughs> flown the mosquito. That's all I got when I got home. They were like, "You're the guy that flew the mosquito." I'm like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> Very lucky, man. So, what did you go on to film after this? So, with the success of the mosquito film, we got fantastic viewing figures like that um, from that, and and more four and other um, Channel Four platforms still show the film to this day. I mean, New Zealand bought it, Australia bought it, Canada bought it, the States bought the film, uh, and loads of other places. So it was a real hit. And then off, off the back of that, the channel were like, "Right, have a series," you know, which is unheard of. Normally, you have to come up with a really, really good idea for. A 
a series um, before the channel um, commission it. But they were like, just make a series. Work with this production company, um, which was the same production company we did the Mosquito film with. And they were like, come up with a great idea for a three-part aviation-related um, series. And uh, yeah, go nuts. So we came up with Flying to the Ends of the Earth, which was myself going to the corners of the planet um, and flying with loads of different pilots in loads of different aircraft types and telling the stories about how life um, is possible at the ends of the earth with aviation being the conduit. So all of these people wouldn't be able to exist here if it wasn't for aeroplanes supporting them. So, for example, the missionary pilots in Papua New Guinea who, you know, who fly out into the mountains. Uh, you've got people in Siberia who require helicopters and, 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 uh, and turboprop aircraft to be able to supply things. You've got the floating city of Iquitos, which is cut off by road. You can only access it by waterways and and aviation. And so you find that uh, all of these all of these places, though they are a world apart from each other, all have that common link, which is flying. And um, we did two series of that. Did two three part series. Um, the first one aired 2014 and was recommissioned. And then we did one in 2016. And um, unfortunately, it had a helicopter crash in Russia, oh. which uh, which kind of put the put the the the, the uh, kind of scared the channel a bit, understandably, I think. And so that that kind of was the end of that. But. Um, but nevertheless, uh, a year later, um, we wanted another series. So we said, right, let's keep it to Britain. Let's fly around, you know, UK airspace and, and tell the stories of Britain from the air. And that's how flying across Britain with me um, came about. And um, doing it in the Cub is obviously a perfect platform for doing that because, you know, being a high-wing aeroplane that look, flies low and slow, you can enjoy these green and pleasant lands for all that they are. So before we get into your latest series, tell us a bit about how you acquired the Cub and what it's like to fly. The Cub's a stunning aeroplane to fly. I think you speak to anybody that's ever flown a Cub or anybody who knows anything about aviation, they will always tell you that the Cub is a fantastic aeroplane. There's a, there's a saying that it's only just fast enough to kill you. But she's just so forgiving. I mean, bless her. She's got me out of trouble a couple of times for my shortcomings and uh, she'll never let you down. She's just fantastic. She flies so well. She's so easy to fly. She's a joy. She's just an absolute joy to handle. And um, I first acquired her in 2012 um, from a lady who was based down by Swindon. And, um, and, and then I started... Um, converting it with hand controls because obviously I can't use my legs so the rudder has to be uh, modified and the way in which we've done this and she's a one of a kind there aren't any of us in the world that I'm aware of that have the same modification so uh, to compensate for the lack of use of my legs I have a hand tiller on the left hand side forward for right rudder back for left but because it's a tail dragger and you need um, simultaneous throttle power and rudder inputs i have an unsprung motorcycle twist grip on the top so i can push and, and twist it all at the same time and it's much like rubbing your stomach and patting your head but once you got used to it it's no problem it's yeah. fine brilliant so let's talk about your new series how did the idea come up and when did you start filming the idea with um 
television and media and things like that, the best ideas are often the 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 most obvious ones, the most simple ones. And um, we were there and we were kind of scratching around and thinking, what's going to be a real hit? What can we do? What have we got? And uh, of course, right, we've got a pilot, we've got Arthur, um, we've got the cub, so we've got an aeroplane, and we've got a beautiful country. And when you put all these things together... Um, you you kind of think, wow, all right, well, it's flying across Britain with Arthur Williams, you know, and um, and that's kind of where we started. Um, we also then developed the kind of pitch, if you like, um, document, an idea, and the mission statement of the series really was to be that so many people live near or pass airfields on their way to work or visit relatives or whatever, even if they don't know because they may be old disused there fields or runways that there is a huge appeal not just to the aviation um, fraternity or, or, or following but to people who have a local interest and so we decided that we would focus on the airfields of Britain um, and tell the stories of the diversity of general aviation and the, the, the beauty of the British countryside would fall into place as we transited over the top of all of these. So we kind of gathered everything today as a bit of a love song um, for the series uh, of Britain from the air mm. and the airfields that we all love so much and pass on most of our, most of our lives. Yeah, and there's four parts to all. Does each episode have a theme? Uh, yeah, so each uh, episode of the series uh, broadly follows a different region of Britain. And we don't cover all of them, unfortunately, because we, we don't have the time, unfortunately. But we episode one focused on the south the southwest. Um, so we were in sort of our neck of the woods here, the Cotswolds, extending down to... Um, um, sort of Hampshire, um, Dorset, Somerset, and that area. Um, episode two was the southeast and the London episode. So we were Kent, Biggin Hill, um, Bedfordshire. Yeah, those were the, those were the main counties for that one. And then episode three is Scotland. So we go up to the west coast of Scotland on the the furthest that I've ever been um, in the Cub, which was a logistical challenge, but one that I thrived on and loved, and we made it successfully. And, God bless them. We're all in one piece, um, and the 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 views from up there, the rewards oh, are just imagine. oh, out of this world. And you'll see, um, you know, when uh, with the with the beautiful bright yellow backdrop, just to the b- b- bright blue Atlantic and the blue skies, unbelievable. Um, and then for the fourth and final episode of the series, we focus on the bomber counties. So we go to Suffolk, Lincolnshire and Norfolk and we tell a bit of a story about my own personal family uh, her- heritage that me and my brother go to find out and learn about for the first time, which is awesome. Uh, we go flying with a female red arrow, first female red arrow pilot, Kirsty Murphy, with the blades. And she does, her fe- she does her best to pull my face off and make me sick, but she doesn't succeed. I love it. And uh, we go to RAF Lakenheath and, um, and we, we look at the, the phenomenal F-15 Strike Eagles and the squadrons that they've got based there. Uh, I get the opportunity to do a low-pass and go-around in an, in an old Second World War American military airplane. And all the Americans on camp were just waving out the control tower and absolutely loving it so that's really really cool and um and we look at just jane and there's loads going on in bomber county as everybody knows and and, and, i mean if you're uh if you're a particular interest in second world war history then that's the episode for you you'll love that
oh, the planning for the series was was yeah in depth to say the least. I think before um, we even got off to the ground or met for the first day of filming, we had to do loads and loads of planning, both on a production point of view, but also on operating the aeroplane. We our first point of call really was 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 with the Civil Aviation Authority and and confirming with them the legalities of what exactly it was that we were wanting to do, and they were perfectly happy right from the right at the highest level. And as soon as we got the green light from them to go ahead and do what we wanted to do then we started working with insurance companies we started then trying to plan the logistics of it all because of course an aeroplane that can't really deal with much more than a 10 mile an hour crosswind is going to need quite a lot of um, contingency built into the filming schedule schedule and that gets very hard when you're planning your days around other people's diaries like our contributors who may only be able to take the CEO of RAF Lakenheath for example he's an incredibly busy man and we only have a small window to be able to to interview him and if I can't get to the airbase because of the aircraft's limitations on that morning then we got a pickle so we had to consider all of these things before we started filming Uh, and once we got all of our ducks in a row and all the green lights were there we started the filming and, 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 and really the filming I, I don't know whether I want to say that was the easy part but it was certainly the most enjoyable that's for sure but um, it was um, we knew that we knew that we were um, we were we were really making progress um, when we started filming because the bureaucracy and, 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 and planning was it can be laborious and quite hard work sometimes imagine, yeah. So this might be difficult for you, but did you have a favourite episode? Do you have a favourite episode and a favourite airfield you flew into? Oh, man. Pushing you there. Um, Okay. My favourite episode is the Spitfire episode, I think. It's the Spitfire episode, just because it's the Spitfire, you know? And, I, I, I mean, I watch it back, and I look at my enthusiasm, and I think, oh, blooming heck. You know, I know I presented it, I know I'm the man that's there, but I'm having a really good time watching me having a good time, <laughs> yeah. if that makes any yeah. sense. And, and all of the comments that I got back from that were just like how... Uh, the people were in tears at home watching it, because they could just share through myself their passion of aviation and and what i love about doing these documentaries and 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 aviation related work is that it's all right to be an absolute geek you know if you flip in love something then that's completely cool just to go nuts and 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 never hold yourself back with that um and i I love that I, i think the final episode where we're in the eastern counties and finding out that personal piece of um family history that was real whoa moment was immense and me and my brother particularly will remember that for the rest of our days and um, that was that was that's really lovely and having privileged access to you know frontline fighter jet bases and also with the RAF as well I found that a real privilege so that's cool favorite airfield to visit uh, has to be for me I think Mull Glenforsa okay yeah up on the west coast of Scotland it's a beautiful little strip perfect smooth little grass runway they love the vintage kind of glamour uh, of, it, of, of, of early aviation during the 20s 30s and stuff they've got this beautiful hotel which is next to the the strip and you go up there and and, and, and Brendan and his wife are waiting for you with like a pint in hand and a really nice burger and you're like oh 
price. The life. Yeah, and, and it is an operating base for some of the best flying you'll do in Britain. Flying around the highlands and around the coast and islands, it just takes your breath away. And for anybody who's lucky enough to fly who is watching this, I really thoroughly recommend you go there. It's a bit of a slog to get up to it. Um, and the reason that it was one of my favorite airfields also was because it was the furthest that I'd be in out. It was a real achievement for me to get the Cub up there. Obviously, the weather at that uh, that part of the country is really, really uh, extreme sometimes. So being able to get a little flimsy Cub up there was 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 a real yes moment. So that was cool. But for anybody that, that has the opportunity to get up there, I thoroughly recommend it because you, you've just got access then to some, of the, some um, nature and geography that will blow your mind from the air. Sounds amazing, yeah. What also I love about the series in yourself is that you can see the passion on your face. I mean, there's other documentaries, you know, and, and they're, they're not really into it, but with you, you can really see the passion, I think. You know, this is what I do on my weekends. I'm a through-and-through through aviation enthusiast. I'm a, a, few, a, a hashtag av geek, <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of it at all. This is absolutely what I love, you know. Uh, I've, 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 this is where I spend my money. I've, I've, I've bought my own aeroplane, and I spend my weekends when I can, when I'm not having to be ordered to clean the house or do laundry <laughs> or the dishes this is where i come i come to the airfield i take the airplane and i go off and we go flying and we go pottering and if you have a look at my logbook half the entries in it over the last two years have been taking friends and family flying because i want to share with them the thrill that i get out of flying this thing you know and you make many people's days months years uh, i recently took my auntie flying who's just been um you know she's just coming out the 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 uh, a bad time with cancer and, and she was on her bucket list to go flying in a light airplane we took her up we had a barbecue and then drank herself silly in the bar and we just had the best time you know and, and, and the enthusiasm comes through because this is just what i love this is it always has been and always will be and you know if i'm not doing anything i'd sell my house before i sold the airplane <laughs> And I think uh, anyone that does go flying and they're not interested, as soon as they're up, they, they love it, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of people that get bitten by the bug is just insane. It uh, is. Uh, uh, we are privileged to be able to do what we do but I, I say this to everybody if you love something enough or if you're enthusiastic enough or as willing and as determined enough you will make it happen mm -hmm. everybody will no matter what background they come from what circumstances they live in I mean I've, the amount of pilots that I've interviewed myself and spoken to I mean the first guy that comes to mind is Lola Odjajurin who was the first um, black pilot um, to f African black pilot to fly solo around the world in a single engine aeroplane incredible feat you know he's a 737 captain flying for a major carrier out of Stansted you know he came, he, I, he, he was he, lived, he was born in Africa he was brought up in a high rise council property in London a 737 captain flown around the world so anybody can do it if you're willing anybody can do it and uh, and for those that, that do have the drive to do it I thoroughly recommend that you do because once you get aloft I mean gosh you're, you know the, the, the sky is the limit and, and you're in um, you're amongst the lap of the gods and there's nothing for me that parallels it so Arthur what can we see from you in the future um, so I do quite a lot of work with Embraer the Brazilian uh, aircraft manufacturer 
I've been working with them since the Paris Air Show last year, uh, helping them market their new uh, E2 uh, generation of commercial jets. So uh, they're sending me off to the States next week, um, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. Um, on the distant horizon, we've got the Tokyo um, 2020 Paralympic Games, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to as well. Um, and between now and then, I'm not really sure. We'll have to wait and see how well the series is done. Um, flying across Britain, the initial figures are fantastic, but until we know what the compounded figures are, it's up to the channel then whether or not they recommission it. But, but from where we're looking at the moment, it's looking really, really good that they will, and I desperately want them to do a series too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, really, I really need them to do a series too. I would really love to do that. And um, so hopefully that's what we'll be doing ne next summer now, I think. It'd be unrealistic to fit it in this year obviously so yeah we've we got plenty to be getting on with at the moment and uh, uh, but the, with media you never really know until the, you know the, the 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 week before if you've got a job so um we will see watch this space so arthur do you have any hobbies apart from flying yeah, I love shooting, actually. Okay. I uh, love clay pigeon shooting and game shooting. So I do, uh, uh, during the summer months, um, clays, sporting clays. And then over the winter months, I might do a couple of days of driven uh, pheasant and grouse shooting. Well, I haven't done a day's grouse shooting. I'd love to do a day's grouse shooting. But yeah, I've uh, got a couple of days of pheasant shooting and stuff. I love doing that. And I love my swimming. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm big into my swimming. Always being a marine, of course, I've always been a very good swimmer, and uh, I love that. Informed for keeping fit and just keeping active. So we know the mosquito is your favourite player. And what would be your second? Well, I have, I have to say the cub, because <laughs> otherwise she'll tip a wing and hit me on the head. Um, so, oh, you can't ask me that, man. Second favourite aircraft is really tough really tough because there are just so many out there like so many different genres i mean you could say the vulcan because i'm gonna have to pin you down though <laughs> ah, vulcan vulcan okay vulcan vulcan next to the mosquito be the vulcan and then uh, uh, but cl tied very closely to tsr2 oh yeah that's a uh good looking plane yeah yeah i'm not going to get on a political rant because it's <laughs> we all we it. ever hear about on <laughs> aviation uh, media but the plane that never was that should have been but mm -hmm. you know yeah so is there an aircraft you wish you could fly realistically or not right i'm going to go for the non-realistic answer to begin with an air my airplane that i'd love to fly f4 phantom phantom yeah that's a beautiful plane yeah, yeah with the power i mean i've got a few friends that fly for british airways now who uh, who cut their teeth in the RAF on the Phantom as young 20-year-olds and the stories they tell you about it. I mean, my dad in the Navy was even with the fleet air on Phantoms on board and he just said them, man, those guys just rocked it. You know, with those, um, did they have spay engines? Spay in, engines, spay yeah, engines in, the, in the F-4. And he just said that they were able to climb vertically through Mac and you're just like, oh, the power <laughs> to do that. So I did go, I'd go F-4 Phantom, fast jet, just for the thrill of doing it because obviously it had the slow spectrum. Yeah, get up there. So where can we find your programs online? Ah, so if you want to find any of the programs or the series online, you can series link it, obviously, throughout the throughout all of the duration that it's on. But if you want to do it on catch-up, go to 4, 4OD, 4 On Demand, on the website there. You'll be able to stream and watch, download any of the programs that you like, as and when you like. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think there's a couple of bits and bobs on YouTube, but uh, 4OD is the place to go. And are you on social media? Yeah, I am. So I'm on Twitter um, at ArthurVW1986 and I'm on Instagram uh, as well. And I've got uh, my own website as well, arthur-williams.co.uk. 
Well, Arthur, thanks very much for being on the show. It's much appreciated. That's my pleasure entirely.